0: Welcome everybody back to the Believe in the Jets podcast. That is E A V N in Jets. Taking some notes from my guy Jack Kavanaugh over at Believe in Lions from our crossover last week on the intro. Uh, got a little jealous of how he did his so I had to step my game up. Uh, Lamont, we are here this week. We got a fun show. We are going to talk about what it's like as a player preparing for the draft, going through the process. Like we talked about last week a little bit, you would attend at the Senior Bowl, eventually won Senior Bowl MVP we're going to go through all of that, break it down from a player's perspective of what it's like firsthand. There's not really many better places you can go than firsthand information from a guy who's been through it himself. So, Lamont, I'm going to toss it to you. Go ahead and lead things off from the start of the process. Just talk about what it was like for you finishing your college career, coming out in the draft. I know that you played as a senior, so you didn't really declare early. But just what was that process like starting your transition from college player to professional player?
1: Um, well, for me, it started with my junior year. You know, I set all these records and, you know, a lot of people were telling me I should have came out. I had a really good season um, and I finished strong. I finished strong that year. Um, So making the decision to come back, then having a senior year that was not, you know, just just was nowhere near my junior year. Um, You know, once that's over with, it's like now it's like, okay, that's over with. Now I got to prepare for the draft. And it's like you you, first the, the first thing is you get no break. Yeah, no, not at all. You do not have a break. And when I when I got drafted, you know, they always talked about the rookie wall. And I can understand why you hit the rookie wall because from your last game, you're starting to get yourself prepared for the draft. Um, I got invited to the combine. So you're talking about the combine, you're talking about doing the senior bowl, you're talking about having your your pro day workout. Um, and then just phone conversations with coaches. It's just, it's just a whole lot that's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's just the, the reality that, wow, my dream, like, wow, like it's here in the next couple of months. It's, it's like, I want to get an opportunity. And so for these guys, it's, it's, it's a time that you, that you really, you just got to go, man. That's, I think that's the best way that I can describe it. You just have to go. You know, you, yeah. gotta, you gotta push everything off to the side and just focus on the task at hand. You don't worry about friends. You don't have time for any of that. It's just, I gotta make sure I'm keeping my, my nose clean because you could easily go from being a second round draft pick uh-huh. to not being drafted at all, just by your associations if something happens. So these are all things that the, that the guys are going through. And um, then once, for me, once I got drafted, know, forget before the draft process, when you go through the process and you get a chance to hear, you know, the scouting report on you, you know, it's like, wow, you know, you get a chance to hear what your college coaches really thought about you. And so when, when things like character issues for me came up, you know, I was, you know, it was a character thing. You start to hear all these little things come up and and how you handle it when when a GM or a coach all of these different things it's like every step that you take it's like you're under a microscope and so that's what these guys are going through right now and once they figure out which team they're going to like for me when i got drafted to the jets i was like yes like you hope that you go like i was hoping that i got a chance to go somewhere that i didn't mind being right you understand like listen I didn't want to play inside of a dome. I wasn't a turf guy. I wanted to play on some grass. I would have loved to have been somewhere that I can get home if I needed to get home. And then Herm Edwards, you know, a a black head coach, Santana Moss went with the first pick, Curtis Martin is there. Like I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like I got drafted to the Jets. I'm a train ride. I can hop in my car and drive home, but I'm far enough away that I'm away from home. So these are all things that these guys are thinking about. Yes, you want to get in, but you want to go somewhere that you actually, you hope that you get to a team that you're like, all right, good. I want to be here. And for me, that's what it was for the Jets. Like I was happy to be there. I could not stand New York. I'm going to put that out there right now. I could not stand New York when I first got Uh, up It's an acquired taste, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. I'm driving. I'm like, yo, these people are rude. If you put on your blinker, that's a huge sign of weakness. I'm just like, like, what in the heck is going on here? But uh, my last year, I really got a chance to get out and see the city and enjoy, just really embrace New York, man. And I just fell in love with it. And so... That's kind of what these guys are are, are going through. There's a huge unknown. Yeah. And even if you get invited to a team, that doesn't mean that you made it. No. Like you have not made it until you make that, you make that final cut and you're part of that 53-man roster, which says that you're getting paid every week for the remainder of the season. You made it. And so that's what those guys are going through. And so for these guys, they will not get a break until the end of their rookie year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's something that a lot of people don't realize. And I'm glad that was one of the first things you brought up is that it's not even like it stops after you get drafted, because once you get drafted, you go straight to the facility, you fly out the next day, you go get your helmet size, jersey, take pictures, all that. And you got rookie mini camp like a week after that. So Mm -hmm. you're back in the facility. Now you're at mini camp. There's a little bit of a break before you get to actual OTAs, training camp, et cetera. But they're expecting you to keep your body right, get in the playbook, start getting with the program so that once you show up to camp in the summer, you're good to go. And then, like you said, it's through the end of your rookie year. It's like two straight years of training for your last year before college, the summer before that, spring practice, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And your last season, senior season, if not junior season, et cetera draft training the summer, the rookie season, which is now five games longer than the college season. I'm not counting bowl games. And it's a heck of a lot and it's mentally and physically draining. And so that's what you get about the rookie wall. And you see the game, uh, the game gets too fast for these guys. Well, their heads have been spinning for a year and a half. And mm-hmm. it's why you see guys make the the second year leap because they're comfortable. Their their heads aren't spinning. They're they're used to the process. They've gotten the break in the offseason. They're able to come back and, and be fresh and they're not adjusting to the new place they're living, like you're talking about. I think that's such an interesting point because from the fan perspective, a lot of people would assume, oh, I want to go to a team that's good, or I want to go to a team where, you know, I'm playing with this player, or I'm not having to worry about this. And you're concerned about where am I going to live? You know, what type of field am I going to play on? As a running back, that's huge because Mm -hmm. especially not wanting to play in turf turf back in those days was even worse than it is now and so i can completely understand not wanting to play in a dome and and risk your injury and risk an injury in your career for that it's it's really insane how much goes into being a player that people don't realize they think you just show up and you play the game and that's it but it's it's a three sixty five kind of lifestyle and kind of job. And that's where you see teams, especially the jets and their brass. They want guys that love football to the core. They -hmm. want guys that would do this for free. And because it's the only thing they love to do, and they're going to be dedicated to not only themselves, but the game in general and not do anything off the field to get their nose dirty, to risk anything for themselves, because it all comes back to that. And how much do you love and respect the game? where that's why the draft process is important. You had mentioned there's people that go from being high picks and then something can happen and then they fall out of nowhere. I remember a few years ago, you had Lyle Collins, who was supposed to be a first round pick. And then there was the association of him being investigated for something that wasn't no good. And he ended up, he was cleared, was not associated with anything, but he ended up going undrafted. Yet I remember Shane Ray a few years ago was a pass rusher out of Missouri that the Broncos took that was supposed to be a top 10 pick and got arrested for a DUI three days before the draft. And he fell into like the 22nd or 25th pick, if I'm remembering correctly. So it all matters. And Mm -hmm. it's really, really important for these guys, especially the guys at the senior bowl, to put out that good first impression for the teams that are going to see them up close, because Mm -hmm. once a, a fair or unfair, first impressions matter a lot. And if you're going to have that coach in the building or that one scout that says, oh, well, I talked to him a little bit at the senior bowl. And, you know, he came across as a really good dude. He seems committed. That might be the difference between you getting drafted by a team in the second round or drafting by a team in the third round because no other team wanted to. So it's mm-hmm. it's really important. And it's a lot of things that people don't think about.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that people have to that, that, that you're going through as a player during that process is you're interviewing people. You're talking about agents, financial advisors. You have so many different people coming at you because now they're starting. You know, now they're starting to see the possibility of what you can make, and so being able, you know, having to constantly put people through a filter of can I trust this person? What is their motive? All these different things. This is what these guys are going through. You know, so this isn't, this isn't just in all of this. It affects you mentally, it affects you physically, and and that's a huge huge part of it is when you make a decision on who's going to be my agent when you make a decision on who's going to help with the finances you know all of those different types of things these are things that are coming into place and so um the good part for these guys especially the guys to get a chance to go to the senior bowl get a chance to go to the east west shrine game and all of those different types of things is when you're out there with the fellas when you're competing when you're sitting in meetings, you're not worried about any of those things. Yep, You're not worried about any of those things. You're just enjoying the guys. You're enjoying the process. And so for all these guys that are playing in the senior bowl, um, you know, that moment when you're out there on the field, those meetings, the, the little bit of downtime you get, whether you're shooting pool or playing Madden or whatever the case may be those are the moments right there that you get your chance to kind of just breathe and relax and just enjoy the process and enjoy the company of guys that you anticipate you're going to see on the next level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause especially that's one thing that I really love about things like that and the combine and, and the senior bowl when they're done, right. Is that everyone's there to compete, but no one's there to, to get in somebody else's way. No one's there to to go out of their way to to put somebody else down. Everyone's competing for themselves and they're going to do everything they can in their own power to make themselves look as good as possible. But there still is that brotherhood. There still is that camaraderie where you can go and be having a one on one against a DB earlier in the day. And like you said, playing against them in Madden and chopping it up later in the night. And, mm-hmm. and that's really important because you need people around you, anybody in any walk of life, you need people around you that are in similar situations to understand what you're going through, because no one else is going to understand what you were experiencing at that moment other than somebody else that was going through the process with you. Yep. Uh, so I, I love to hear that. I think that's really, that's really cool. Uh, one thing I've been wanting to ask you since before we even started this uh, podcast, uh, once I first found out we were going to get going to do it was there's a lot of talk. Uh, about weird combine questions from teams that ask things that are unusual or go out of their way to do things that aren't quite make sense to getting an idea for a player so I've wanted to ask you what your combine process was like what if adding you had any weird questions or if anything was pretty standard or and, and what was your favorite or least favorite interview that you had while you were going through that process
1: man um I think for me, listening to some of the character things that were said about me coming out of school, lazy, doesn't love football, all these different types of things. that I'm just like, what? Like, I don't think there's anybody that can put on film and honestly say that when they watch me play the game, that I don't love the game, especially with the type of back. You know, I'm not a flashy, I wasn't a flashy bat. No, you know, I was up between the tackles, little shiftiness, got speed to go home run. But if it's one thing that was happening, is I was getting hit.
0: Downhill yeah, and go.
1: Yeah. And so to hear some of those things. And then I had one particular team. Oh man, they tried to get under my skin. Oh my gosh, they tried, they tried to break me. Well, what's gonna happen if this? Well, we've heard that you're this, that and the third. And I'm just like, they're just sitting here yelling at me. And I'm just like, I'm just sitting here, I'm just saying to myself, you know what? Okay. Okay. And I remember after that interview, it shifted my whole, it shifted my whole thinking. It shifted my whole thinking. Um, I was pissed after it. Like I didn't, I I was just so tired of the process. So tired of just hearing all of this stuff. And I'm just like, you know what? I just want this to be over with. Um, That's one thing that I remember. Um, And my body language was so bad in one meeting that <laughs> I was meeting with the running back coach and, and it's crazy because he told me, um, he basically told me, well, if you don't want to be here, you can like, that's how mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. like my body language was because I had just got a meeting where I was just being destroyed. Um, and it's crazy because I wound up playing for that coach. That's funny. Bobby, Bobby Turner, he reminded me of it. He he reminded me of it. And I had a chance to play for him my last season. He coached Clinton Porters and Terrell Davis and, and Anderson and just just, I mean, just one of the best running back coaches of all time, in my opinion. Um, he reminded me of that. Uh, I, I think for me, the best moment was when it was over. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't run a 40 at the combine all I I went, I did the interviews and I did my bench press. And um, and after that, I, I, I got up out of there. I was so happy to leave. I was so happy to get up out of that place that for me, that was the best moment was when it was time for me to leave and go hop on that plane and come back home. That was the absolute best moment for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. After what you were saying, I can definitely imagine that. I always thought it was so interesting from the outside looking in where you have people where fans are so quick to say people don't love football and they'll, they'll hear something from, from anybody or anybody else having never even spoken to somebody or even seen them play to be Mm -hmm. able to make that determination. So I always thought it was really interesting that people need to learn when they don't know, they don't know. and There's nothing wrong with saying that you don't know and you don't have to sit there and go, Oh, well, I'm sure someone doesn't have these problems, but don't just repeat something because you heard it without knowing anything firsthand. And a lot of those times that varies coach to coach, where a lot of coaches and a lot of teams might be more understanding or more willing to where they understand. Some people are just a little, for lack of a better word, crazy. You think of guys like Ocho Cinco or T O where no one was going to deny that when the game was on, and you're in between the lines and the clock's running down that they're not going to give it their all and that they're mm. not going to do what they can to go out and win. But they did some other things off the field that coaches didn't like. Nothing was necessarily bad. Nothing was necessarily, you know, a problem to where it was criminal or anything or anything close to it. But some coaches are like that. And then you have coaches like Andy Reed, where as long as you show up and as long as you ball out on Sunday, it's pretty much doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. anything else, and they'll be—they're a lot more accepting of players that have had troubled past or character concerns or whatever you want to call it. Because so I think it's just—it's that such a, a variable thing, where it's—it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to sit there and just blanket character concerns as this flat statement that people can just throw on everybody like it applies all the same way. I never quite got that. I try. I always try and stay uh, outside of that. Unless you got like arrested and there's proof on record that you did something wrong. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go out of my way to say that I know anything or don't know anything. Uh, let's
1: move along here. Um, let's now, get to you... say, I will say this. I'm going to say this. This yeah, will be my point to this. Is with everything that happened, especially you know, and and for me, listen, it was still a great experience. You can have a bad experience within a great experience. It was still a great experience right. because going throughout the whole process. I got drafted to a team that I felt the most comfortable talking to their coaches. You know, when I came on my visit to meet with the Jets and and Herm Edwards and Bishop Harris was my running back coach and Ted Cottrell was a defensive coordinator. And sitting down and and eating and having a conversation with them, that was the one team, and and, and it was crazy because, you you know, it was basically told to me, like, we're taking a running back but we're just not taking a running back with the first pick. But if I was to drop down, if teams, if somehow I got passed up by these teams and I get to the second round, chances are I was going to be a jet. And so to, once again, to go through that process, and to sit down with people where it's just like, when they're talking to you, it's like, look, we're sold on you just not with the first round pick to get drafted Mm -hmm. by that team. Man, That I mean, I just, just that experience. Like I told people all the time when I went to New York, I just, I could not stand it. But when I left New York, I was like, yo, I love New York.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's it's so funny. It seems like, and, and, and you're far from the first player to ever be drafted by the jets or another New York team. That's had a similar experience where they get to New York and they go, Oh, this is crazy. And, and, and it's, it's all insane and it's nothing for what I'm used to and everything else. And then years go by and they leave. And it's like, once a jet, always a jet. It's like, mm-hmm. once you're, you're part of the city, you're never not part of the city. And, yeah. and, and you you always look at things a little bit differently. I always thought that was so cool that you have so many former players, even like yourself, where you didn't play for the Jets your whole career. You left, went to another team, finished your career somewhere else, and you still kind of gravitate back uh, to want to be involved. It's just, I don't know what it is. Uh, Misery loves company, I guess. That's the only thing I can come up with. Uh, Let's finish off here with our last little bit of preparing for the draft. I want you to go through draft deck like what it was like waking up in the morning, knowing that that was going to be the day. Obviously you didn't go first round, but you did go second round. So mm-hmm. you had the thought of maybe am I going to go first? And then last but not least, I want you to finish off with what it was like getting that call, getting drafted by the Jets.
1: For me, draft day was, wow. Um, we have family over, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I have a picture of us, um, you know, after I got drafted, we were just all out in the front yard, just praying and, seeing how many people was there good grief family and, and just friends and things of that nature um sitting there with my agent I'm watching everything that's going on and I knew that just based on my conversations that LaDainian was going to be the clear-cut number one back taken. like it was LaDainian he had completely separated himself from all of us so I knew that it started I knew that it started with him and then for me, really looking and being realistic about it, I thought that it would be Ladanian, Deuce McAllister. I, I didn't think that I had a chance to be picked before before those two guys. Um, and then you talk about um, um, Anthony out of Michigan. I wanna say Anthony Thomas, um, and I could be wrong with his name, but running back from Michigan, he got drafted. And then it came down between myself and Michael Bennett. I had actually got a call from a team saying hey you ready you know you ready i thought minnesota was going to take me Mm -hmm. i did i really thought that minnesota was going to take me and when they had picked i was sitting there and when they took him i was like oh wow i'm sitting here like jeez i thought i was about to get drafted to minnesota so for a brief second it was like dang okay all right. So now I went from being like really, really kind of excited and nervous because I'm like, okay, shoot, I got drafted in the first round. And and to oh, okay. And then I just sat back and I thought as the picks were going by and the picks was going by, I was just like, oh, all right, here we go. we know we know they're not taking a running back, they're not taking a running back. And as that thing got closer and closer to the Jets. When my phone rang and I knew that it was them on the other line and I started talking to them, I didn't want everybody to know. But on the inside, man, I'm just telling you, on the inside, I was smiling, I was happy, and I'm sitting there on the phone. And when they came up and and we watched it and they announced the pick. And they said my name going to the Jets. I was like, they sleeping on me. That's what I thought. I was like, Christ. they sleeping on me. I was like, these character issues got me this, that, and the third. I went second round, but I was like, all right, I'm going to the Jets. And and from there, just, you know, that's what it was, that's what it was like. It was, it was, it was a, an emotional roller coaster. And then to hear, hear Mel Kuyper say that uh they thought that this was a steal. I was like, okay, I was like, all right. And so for me, just that draft day, that experience, um, it was good. You had spoke earlier about having to leave like right afterwards. Well, there's a rule in place that I don't know how, I, I, I can't explain the details, but at University of Maryland, I think we had a late graduation date or a late last day of the school. And there was something in place that you had to be finished school. So I couldn't, by rule, I couldn't report right away. Mm -hmm. So I actually had a chance to get drafted and still be at home for a little while, taking care of things, getting some things in order before I left to go to New York. So for me getting drafted by the Jets, it's just like everything worked out perfectly for me. Everybody said I should have came back. I made a decision to stay. I was rewarded because I got a chance to be the backup to one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in Curtis Martin me knowing that I want to be a coach at the end of my career to have a head coach like Herm Edwards and to be able to watch him for four years. I mean, we went to the playoffs three out of my first four years with the Jets. Him as a head coach, he went to the playoffs three out of his first four years. Like, so coming from never going to a bowl game to playing in the playoffs, winning the AFC East in, in one year, man, it was just, you know, it was just, it was just an amazing, amazing feeling, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I bet. That's awesome. I'm so glad that that you had that experience and that you were able to stay with your family a little bit too and get to be there and celebrate and not have to turn around and run. I'm sure that was, I'm sure a lot of guys would have loved to be in your situation uh, and be able to do that. Uh, One last question I had before we get to some draft guys that I know you've been getting into. You ever play the Vikings in your career? Yes you ever play a little angrier when you played the Vikings because of the situation of them
1: calling you and then not picking you? Not at all, because I was kind of hesitant. Cause remember, I didn't want to play on turf.
0: Ah, gotcha. So it was kind of like, they called you and you're like, Oh, okay. But then when it didn't happen, you were kind of a little bit relieved. I was
1: like, I was like, you know, I was good. I mm. was good because I went to a team that, that a, I knew wanted me mm-hmm. and, and it was just a great experience. You know, like just it was just, I mean, it was a great experience. So for me, everything that happened, regardless of how good or bad it was, it happened exactly the way it had to happen. And personally, I feel like I was rewarded. I, I really believe God rewarded me for my patience and trusting him not to leave after my junior year by being able to have a guy like Curtis Martin in my life for those four years and to know that we still have the strong uh, relationship. And like, that's my big brother right there. You know, yeah. to be in the locker room with Richie Anderson, to to play behind one of the greatest centers of all time, Kevin Muy. I yeah. mean, come on, you know. So, so for me, it all worked out great. Like I was, I was, man, I was so happy when the Jets drafted me. I was yeah. so. Happy.
0: That's, that's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that for you. I love hearing all these stories about your time coming up in the league, in the league, all of it. We definitely got to get more of this as the off season goes on and we get into the summer. This will be a lot of great content for them. Lamont, I'm going to go ahead and let you get into some draft guys that you have been getting into. I know we got some senior bowl attendees in there as well. So go ahead and rattle off some of these dudes, what you've been seeing out of them on film.
1: Well, I know we got the, the senior bowl. Um, Daxon Hill, the corn uh, the the cornerback from Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know, I just 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 watching him play. I I really, to me, he's a sneaky guy. He reminds he looks like a guy that would fit with with what the Jets have going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he's a ball hog. You know, he's gonna put his body in there, he's gonna tackle. Um, in fact, that he's played in the Big Ten, you know, you're dealing with the speed of Ohio State, you're dealing with the right. running game of, oh, yeah. of very so,
0: diverse type of yes. offenses and teams. You got yes. in the big 10, you got all different types. You got spread teams, yeah. you got power teams, you got Wisconsin who runs a fullback and seven O linemen. You got, you got all of it.
1: Yep. And so anytime I can see a guy, anytime, uh, especially at the cornerback position that a guy has played against a multitude of different styles of, of, of offenses, as you spoke on, um, that's a guy that I'm looking that. I like, I like both the corners from Cincinnati. Me too. I I, I like both of those guys, uh, Cody Bryant, and I don't have the other guy's name written down uh, here.
0: Is Ahmad Gardner. He goes by Sauce. Ahmad Gardner
1: Sauce. Gardner, Sauce. Uh, yeah, Sauce. Um, I really like Cody Bryant.
0: Yeah, me too. I think,
1: he, I, I think that he has great. I think he has really good ball skills, and it's you. See, you see a lot of cornerbacks. They get pis because they keep looking at the receiver and they never get their head turned around from what I've seen from him, he does a good job of making sure he's in good position. Then he gets his head turned around and he goes and make a, makes a play on the ball. So I think out of those two, I think I like Cody Bryant better. I like, I, I like Bryant better than sauce. I think Sauce is, is it has, he, he's taller. He, he has longer arms and I like, and, and I like those things, but yeah. I, I just, they, as far as from, from, from being in the hip pocket of who he's checking I really like Cody Bryant
0: yeah yeah Kobe Bryant's an interesting one because he got targeted a lot more than Gardner did because mm-hmm. Gardner is on the other side he was the the big bad wolf of Cincinnati's defense for lack of a better saying and he wasn't targeted nearly as much and I don't want to discredit him as a prospect because mm-hmm. he's my cornerback one and i yeah. I'll I'll come out and say it uh He's 6'3", about 200, 210 pounds, and moves like he's Mm 5'11". Like the fluidity in his hips and his change of direction is what I think makes him a stellar prospect. Not that his tape is bad, because he smothers guys, he makes plays on the ball, he'll come up and hit all the same, all that. But you're looking at him from the athletic profile perspective of that's why he's, he's really high up, is you got these long arms, big build, fluid at that size. Has I don't think he's given up a touchdown in his career, uh, statistically. So there's a lot to like with Sauce Gardner. But Kobe Bryant, he got slept on. And I think that that a lot of people, a lot of people think first off, think he's small because mm-hmm. they're used to seeing him next to Sauce Gardner. He's six one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's like six one, like 198. Like mm-hmm. he's not small at all. He's an outside corner through and through. And just like Gardner, he's got really good change of direction for that size. And I agree with you for one thing that you said, he knows how to play the ball Mm -hmm. where you got to, as a defender, especially a corner covering your man is one thing, but you got to play the ball too. And so when he has that ability to change, once he is in, in position and he gets into a receiver's hit pocket, his ability to relocate and find the ball in the air is, is really, really good. I, I like him a lot as well. He would be, he's a guy I'm, I'm looking at. That in we're in February right now, the start of February. A lot of people think he's going to be mid-second, maybe early third-round pick. I think it's only a matter of time. I, I He's going to go higher. I think he's going to begin like by when it's all said and done, he's a top fifty pick.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Um, my next position, um, I saw. So I, I like Carson Strong. He to me, Carson Strong is. Is he? First of all, he's a pocket passer. Through and through. I, I, I but, but I like his arm. He can definitely, I mean, he he can throw the ball. Yeah. I think that he's one of those guys that, that you kind of keep an eye on. You know, I don't know where he's going to go in the draft, but I, it'd be really interesting to see which 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 team he goes to. Personally, I think that he would be a great fit in Pittsburgh. I can see that. I think Carson Strong would be a great pick in Pittsburgh. They'll run heavy offense. They're going to protect the quarterback, but they have weapons out there that can run routes. They just needed a quarterback that can get them the ball. Exactly. Um, I, like, I like his decision making. And like I said, I, I really like his arm. So I'm going to pay attention to him and, and see how things go for him and which team he he ends up at. I think another I think another possibility, and we talked about this uh last week, was is there a chance that that I like him with the Vikings also. I like him with the Vikings. Anytime you're a rookie quarterback coming into the National Football League, I truly believe that if you have a run game that will support you, you have a better chance of being successful because it's not all on your shoulders. Um, So like I said, I'm really going to be paying attention to Carson Strong.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned the Vikings because they hired a new head coach. They're going to have a new coach, new GM. Um their head coach was the quarterback coach of the Rams. So, he might see Carson Strong and say, "I need someone that's got an arm similar to Matthew Stafford that can throw down the field to make this offense work because if I'm going to do this with Kirk Cousins, then it's no different than we had Jared Goff a few years before." And yep. you got a quarterback that limits your your ability down the field. So I could definitely see the Vikings being interested. Um, the Steelers, I think that's a, a really good fit for Carson Strong. The word from the Senior Bowl has been the Steelers have been in love with Malik Willis. So that'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see. But just like that makes sense as well, because Malik Willis is another guy with a big arm who wins down the field. So mm-hmm. the 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 connection is, is perfectly there. Um, I liked Carson Strong a good bit. Um, when I was actually not to, to take over real quick, but when I was getting into the guy that I talked about last week, and that's Romeo dubs, his number one receiver at Nevada, mm-hmm. uh, 6'2", 210 pounds was tracked with the fastest speed of any player at the senior bowl this week on a mm-hmm. go route wins down the field, wins underneath runs really nice routes, uh, underneath for a bigger outside guy. You wouldn't expect him to be as fluid, uh, square cuts, absolutely runs a, runs a square dig. Like it's a right angle. Um, Mm. He's got really good hands over the middle. knows how to be a catch. Most how to make catches in traffic transition from run to receiver, make tough catches when he needs to Um, Carson strong. And I agree with you that I liked his decision-making. I liked his accuracy. Generally, I thought he was generally decently accurate. I liked the arm talent there, but there was a handful of times when Carson strong just said, throw it to Romeo and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And, and more often than not, it worked. So I'm I, I'm I'm a big fan of his. I like both of those guys, quite honestly. That was a good duo they got in Nevada.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the the next group I'll talk about is D lineman because we talked about the Jets and D lineman, and I really wanted your opinion on these guys. Um, my first one is Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Man, yeah, oh man, he is a problem.
0: Yes, he is. That,
1: oh yeah, that dude is. That dude is a problem. Actually, I'm just going to say both of them, and Jordan Davis and Zach Carter out of Florida. I like both of these guys. I really like both of these guys. And we, I know that we need an edge rusher. Yeah, I, I know that that's something that we need. Um, I, you know, Zach Carter. I've seen him line up outside and inside. Uh, and while both of these guys are two interior defensive linemen. I think that first of all, I think Jordan Davis is a game changer. I think that he is a game changer. I don't know if the Jets are going to have an opportunity to get him or not, but I definitely think that this is a. Both of these guys are guys worth taking a serious look at because they they're aggressive, they fire off the ball. I mean, when you see D. Lyman, there's a guy up underneath of him. When I watch Zach play and I watch Jordan Davis play, they remind me you ever see where a big fighter break out and there's this big guy and they just people are just grabbing him and he's just swimming everybody and he's still fighting and trying to get it yeah is, yeah,
0: yeah like, uh, what was the what was that name of the nba player that there was that video of him just a, like a month or two ago there was a fight on the field he got like hit in the eye his eye was bleeding and he was running through the field people were trying to say yeah I, I don't i don't remember his name but i i get what you're saying that's what yeah. these dudes are like yeah
1: yes Yes. And I, and we, we always talk about with the jets, that physical presence, yeah, that physical presence. We don't Coleman was their physical presence on the team. I think either one of these guys, especially Jordan Davis instantly brings a physical presence to your football team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I haven't gotten into Zach Carter's tape yet, so I'm not going to sit there and speak on him myself quite yet, but from what, what you're telling me, I'm assuming I'm going to like what I see, but I will speak on Jordan Davis. Uh, Jordan Davis is a nose tackle through and through, and that's fine. Th- mm-hmm. That's perfectly and totally fine. There's going to be some people out there that are going to say, you can't take a nose tackle in the first round. He's not going to impact the game enough. Oh, I don't BS. I don't agree with that whatsoever. This guy is the linchpin of your defense. When you mm-hmm. draft him, uh, he's Vita Veya for, for Tampa Bay where it's mm-hmm. 350, 360 pounds of immovable granite in the mm-hmm. middle of the defense that you're never going to run the ball on him. Mm-hmm. Just give give up the idea of even running the ball on him in its entirety. And then after mm-hmm. that, the guy's so freaking big and so freaking strong that once you get on third down, he can just get under some dude's pads and just drive the pocket forward. Wow. And interior pressure is almost more important than exterior pressure. Because yes. if you are rushing off the edges and you got two guys who pin their ears back and try and get the corner and you don't have the interior pressure to penetrate the pocket quarterback steps up and it's no problem. And there's a perfectly clean pocket for him to go right at the center of the lane. If you take away the interior lane and you collapse the pocket down, quarterback's got nowhere to go, but to the edges mm-hmm. where the defensive lineman on the edges can more easily disengage and track him down. So there's Mm -hmm. a huge proponent to three down nose tackles
1: Mm -hmm. guys
0: that you don't have to take off the field because they can still generate some pressure in the pass game and still be an effective weapon on more than just one occasion. We got to stop thinking about guys in the, he's a nose tackle, put him in the middle of a three, four defense and forget about it. Mm -hmm. That's not what he is. Mm -hmm. This guy is a gap destroyer. This guy is a, an interior run detonator. Mm -hmm. There is, there might not be, when you look at it like this, this is kind of how I try and view prospects sometimes. There might not be a guy who does what is asked of him better than Jordan Davis in this entire draft.
1: Yes, yes. In terms
0: of what is his role in the defense and what is his job to do. The Georgia coaches tell him, stop every run on the interior and collapse the pocket on pass downs. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's another guy that does what is asked of him better than Jordan Davis did this past year as Georgia's defensive lineman. So I agree. I don't think the jets are going to have a chance. I don't think that quite, I think they're going to have their picks right now at four and 10. I think it's unlikely. They take him very unlikely. They take him with either of those selections in a mm-hmm. tradeback scenario, maybe, but I would have to see where they trade back to and, and a bunch of other factors, but I think he's going to go top 20. I okay. think. I, Dexter Lawrence went right around the same range. Vita Veo went in the first round. Danny Shelton went in the first round. It, all of these guys have all been similar type of players. And I think Jordan Davis is just as good, if not better than any one of them. I, mm-hmm. I think he's just as comparable. Like I said, Vita Veya, when I'm looking at, at where I would grade them as prospects, I think they're very, very comparable as prospects. And I thought the same kind of thing about about Vita Veo, where it's like, if you're looking at it from an athletic profile perspective, his body looks awful. That's you're not, you're never going to sit there and go, that guy's going to win the beauty contest or, or that's your, your rocked up stud defensive lineman. If you want that guy, go, go draft your Johnson. And I love him too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that's not what these guys are. These guys are the big uglies on the interior for a reason, but it's that special type of strength that they have when mm-hmm. you're that strong and you're that powerful in your upper and lower body, there's not much teams can do. And I mm-hmm. think, yeah, I'm right there with you. Jordan Davis is a first round player. And I don't really think anyone who says otherwise really knows defensive football.
1: Yeah. I, and here's the thing is I don't think that he's just a nose. I think he's a nose and a three technique. And he, he probably could be, to be quite honest. He, I, I think that he's a guy that you can play both at the nose and the three, and he'll be very disruptive at both positions. Um. So you know, and, and as, as we continue to move on through the draft and looking at these prospects, um, and I know we have something coming up also, um, that's stuff def- these are the two guys that I'm definitely gonna take a look at. Now, when we talk about something, we talked about this with with uh with with Jack and the linebacker position. Two guys that I watch that I really like. Um, the second one is Tyndall from from Georgia. I like him. I really like him, and he's a guy that I believe I've seen him line up as at the defensive end spot. Also, he's a sideline to sideline type of guy. Um, I, I respect the fact that he he's a SEC linebacker. And watching him film, watching his film, he just flats out get after. It. He just gets after it. So when so he's one the guy that i really like i like demarco jackson out of appalachian state i you know, have I not said,
0: heard that name before so tell me about him fill
1: me this, in i like this i like this kid i like this kid number 52 demarco jackson out of appalachian state he is just he he's a he's a linebacker that is the best way to describe yeah. uh-huh. it, he is a linebacker he listen he's a great tackler He's sideline to sideline um, and I said before, I, I like the underdogs. I like to look at these smaller schools. These guys will get an opportunity to come to the senior bowl and, and showcase what they can do against big time D one talent. I'm, I really like DeMarco Jackson and I still have to watch some film on some other linebackers. But if I had the, if there was a guy in the draft that maybe nobody is talking about that I'm keeping my eye on. Um, and I'm not just talking about in the draft, because first of all, I think that he's going to get drafted. Yeah. Um. Whatever team he goes to, they got they self-a-stud. I yeah. really like this kid.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to get into him. I'm going to have to get him, into him and Carter, uh, see how I get my takes on them for sure. But we got plenty of time before the draft to get into that. We got a good jump already. Lamont kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. So I'll go ahead and fill everybody in for the masses here. Uh, Stay tuned. We are going to have some uh, in-person video draft breakdowns of some of the biggest prospects coming up over on jetsxfactor.com. So you'll have the two of us with the film in uh, itself, taking this play-by-play step-by-step, breaking everything down. If you want to learn some football, learn about these draft prospects, have a good time, watch some film, come join us with that. It'll be on the jets factor YouTube real soon. It'll be the first day episode but until then thank you guys so much for listening we are going to be back next week with another great episode so make sure you guys tune in for that uh i'm andrew golden you can find me at andrew golden underscore 17 lamont why don't you go ahead and let drop your info for the people and we'll get on out of
1: here i'm lamont jordan underscore 34 on instagram and you can catch me on at coach jordan 34 on twitter
0: Awesome. Make sure you guys follow at Believe in the Jets uh, on Twitter, B-L-E-A-V in Jets, uh, all caps as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. And like I said, we will be back next week. Peace.
1: Peace.